our fourth week in the book of Romans, really the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Rome. The first three weeks we saw that Paul was eager, eager to preach the gospel to Rome. See that at the end of uh, two weeks ago, the sermon, verse 15. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. He says in verse 16 that he is not ashamed to preach the gospel. He's eager and he's not ashamed. He says it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The tone was very uh, passionate, bold. There's an excitement and a joy and an eagerness in Paul's letter to the Romans. There's a, almost a, a celebration of the Gospel that's taking place as he writes. I think we saw that. It was an exciting first three weeks. Man, so many people, this is great. We're talking about the good news. And today, there's a sudden shift. The tone of today's passage is very different. It's confrontational. It's heavy. And quite honestly, it's horrifying. In some ways, the passage today is a wake-up call for all of us. It seems a little bit out of sorts given the last three weeks, but it, it, it kind of feels like we're in the middle of a birthday bash. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the joy and the celebration, somebody turns off the volume and turns on the lights and says the party's over. Time to go home. So what happened to the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Today we come face to face with another reason why Paul is so eager to preach it. The wrath of God. Why is this significant? Because this you will never comprehend the good in the good news of Jesus if you don't first contemplate the bad news of God's wrath on human sin. Another way to state it is this. You will never enjoy the heights of salvation if you don't consider first the depth of your sin. And so last week we celebrated the, the picture of reaching the top of the mountain in the gospel. And today we realize in this letter we're just at the bottom, looking up at the holiness of God. Sin is an unavoidable chapter. In the story of the Gospel. We must read this chapter. 
in God's story. And as we read this chapter together, I pray that for some of you here in the room that are oblivious, who closed your eyes and covered your ears, and have ignored the reality of God's wrath against your sin, that maybe today you would wake up to the wrath of God against it. So today I'm going to give you eight words to wake you up. Now that doesn't mean the sermon's only eight words long. That just means I don't have three points, I have eight. I'm sorry, not really. Eight words to wake you up today. Let's read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, man, I'm sorry, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever and all God's people said, Amen. Oh God, we pray that Your Spirit 
Wake us up. Your holiness, your righteousness. And apart from you, our sin, and our depravity, and our rebellion. Wake us up today and draw us near to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The first word to wake you up is wrath. You see it. The first verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is right there in the first phrase. What do we mean by the wrath of God? John Stott says this, the wrath of God is a deeply personal abhorrence of evil. It is a holy hostility to evil. We have a holy, righteous, pure, just, loving, perfect, sovereign, altogether amazing God. And He is also wrathful. He is full of deep, personal abhorrence to that which is evil. That which is unrighteous. This wrath of God is not an offhanded, kind of impulsive, slam the door like a dad kind of anger when he's frustrated in the moment. This isn't an anger that is not within his control. It is not perfect and unholy. It is a perfect and, and holy anger that is controlled and calculated. But it is still nonetheless very personal. And it is very real. This is His disposition toward sin and unrighteousness and rebellion and disobedience. Anything that contradicts His perfect, holy, and righteous nature, He is hostile towards. And so the first word that wakes us up to the reality is this word, wrath. And even now, as I speak about these things, you're already uncomfortable, as you should be. This should make us uncomfortable. This should bother us, that it bothers Him when we sin. It should affect us when we come to the realization that our unrighteousness is not trivial. It's not, eh, oh well, we all sin, right? It's not relative. It's not trivial. It is a serious thing. God does not shove our sins under the rug. He's not saying, it's all good. Don't worry about it. He is personally abhorrent to it. He hates sin. He hates unrighteousness. And it says that His wrath is against it. But some of us are uncomfortable for another reason. Because society would paint a picture of the kind of God that is 100% love. That's it. And oh, by the way, when we talk about love, we're going to define it in our own terms rather than the love that the Bible reveals. Right? Oprah Winfrey theology and the rest of postmodern society says this. Here's our declaration. Love wins. 
love wins. We have no room in society for a kind of God that is wrathful toward unrighteousness. So we're uncomfortable, not just because it confronts our unrighteousness, because uh, it, we're uncomfortable because it confronts our very image and understanding of God. The God of 2017 is 100% love. It is the only attribute of God that we are willing to acknowledge even a distorted version of it. Our God is loving. Someone say amen. God is love. God is love. The scriptures teach intention. He is wrathful toward our unrighteousness. He abhors it. As uncomfortable as it may be, this is what the scriptures teach about our God. The second word to wake you up is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The second word is revealed. God's wrath is being revealed. It's not hidden. It's on display. It's being revealed from heaven. The text goes on later to talk about certain aspects of God's character that are displayed and clearly seen in creation. If you took, go down to verse 19, it says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He's revealed it. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that they have made. In creation, God is revealing Himself. He's putting His glory and His divine nature and His power on display for all of creation to see. Psalm 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. In a general sense, God reveals Himself to all of creation in the things that have been made. There are general things that we can understand about the nature of God in creation. That's what the Bible teaches. There's a special revelation, a specific revelation, but there's also a general revelation. And in that general revelation, we can know and understand some obvious things in what is seen by us about the nature of God. Examples. When I'm on a black sand beach on the shores of New Zealand and I look out, I see something about the nature of God. When I'm flying in a plane over the Rocky Mountains, I'm able to look down and see the grandiose Rockies and all the crevices and, and lakes therein and the clouds. There's something glorious that I see. When I'm on top of White Face Mountain looking down, 
on Lake Placid and throughout all the High Peaks region. There's something glorious and vast and bigger than me that I see. I recognize how insignificant I am in comparison to something much grandi- more grandiose and large and significant, much more glorious to me. You know what I'm talking about. You're up there and you recognize there's no possible way that this beauty could be accidental. There's no possible way that there isn't a powerful God at work behind all of this. I don't need a scientist to tell me about the glory of God on the top of a mountain. I see it. I feel it. I know it. And so God is revealing Himself. And even that's uncomfortable because we're so agnostic. God may be real, but, but He can't be known. But understand this, the God of the Bible is making Himself known. He's revealing Himself. The wrath of God is being revealed. And we're going to talk later about how His wrath specifically is revealed from heaven. The third word to wake you up is unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. I'm sorry, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, we like verses like if God is for us, who can be what? Against us. Woo! Praise God. And you should praise God for that. But it says here that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Really just sin. It's sin. Our rebellion, our disobedience, our state, who we are before the presence of a holy and righteous God. We're unrighteous. Isaiah knew it, right? We read it in the call to worship. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. He knows his unrighteousness, his sin before a perfect God. And as we talk about sin, we feel like immediately we're, we're wearing skinny jeans. It's, it's very uncomfortable for us to talk about sin. There's almost a, a defense mechanism that goes up. Wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not sinful. I'm not unrighteous. I do good things. We begin to make a case for ourselves in the presence of God. But we must take our unrighteousness and our sin seriously because the wrath of God is being revealed against it. Against it. God is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We may want to avoid our sin today. We may want to shove it under a rug. We may want to self-justify our actions. But the reality is this, is that God's wrath is against it. And there's no denying it. There's no avoiding it. And so today, I pray that you would wake up to the reality of the wrath of God against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. As uncomfortable as it is. As uncomfortable as it may feel to us now, we must wake up to the fact that God's wrath is revealed against all human unrighteousness. So don't sleep today 
Don't hit the snooze button on God. You can only hit the snooze button so many times before you're just late for work. You're just late for class. You're just late. Don't hit the snooze button on the wake-up call of God about the depth of your sin today. The fourth word to wake you up is knowledge. It's a repeated word here. Or known. For what can be known about God? Verse 19. Is plainly seen. Verse 21. For although they knew God. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree. You see this revelation produces knowledge. Produces knowledge. Yes, it's a general revelation. And therefore it produces a general knowledge about God. But ignorance will be no excuse in the presence of a holy God. We cannot claim to not know anything. God, I didn't know. When you see Him face to face. On judgment day, there will be no one that is able to say, I didn't know. No one told me. No one showed me. No one disclosed it to me. I'm ignorant. It's not fair. The text tells us that they know. What can be known about God is seen. His eternal power. His divine nature. And so the result of that is we are without excuse. We know enough about God. You see, general revelation, what we see in the world, it is not enough To save us from God's wrath. But that revelation is enough to condemn us. In God's wrath. Ignorance will never be an argument. In the presence of a God. Who has revealed himself. In creation. You can't say I never knew. So in the presence of a righteous God, will have no excuse for our unrighteousness. The fifth word to wake you up is exchanged. You see that on three occasions. Exchanged. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Verse 26 says, their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And likewise, men gave up natural relations. They exchanged it as well. You see, this is insightful to human nature. That when God reveals Himself to us and provides truth and knowledge in a general sense, this is what we do by nature. We take the truth and we say, no thanks. And we exchange it for a lie. We take natural and we say, no thanks. And we exchange it for unnatural. We take something that is immortal and eternal And we say, no thanks, I'll take something that is mortal. That's human nature. That is the core sin 
throughout the Bible. The core sin of humanity. Exchanging the immortal for the mortal. Exchanging the truth for a lie. Exchanging the natural for the unnatural in idolatrous worship. We worship idols. That's what we do. Self-centered, self-satisfying, no thanks, not interested in you, God. Matter of fact, I reject your word. I reject your authority. And I'm going to figure it out on my own. I'm going to exchange what you have given me by your grace. And I'm going to turn it in because I want something else other than you. The nature of human unrighteousness at its core is one that exchanges Truth for lie, natural for unnatural, immortal for mortal. Matter of fact, we'll take anything other than God, won't we? Anything sounds good except for God to the sinful, distorted human heart that has fallen from relationship with Him. Exchange. Sinful human nature is to, to substitute. We want a substitute of our own making. So we substitute for Him something that we deem more valuable for our own purposes and glory. Am I lying? Am I exaggerating today? No, sadly I'm not. It may be easy to embrace the values and worship the gods of our culture today, but we must wake up to our nature. The core issues of your life are truth-exchanging issues, truth-substituting issues, glory-substituting issues, nature-substituting issues. We'd rather have anything other than God. We must wake up to our nature. Stop hitting the snooze button on God. The sixth word to wake you up today is gave. Or really the phrase is gave them up. It's really one word. So in English it's three, but roll with it. The sixth word to wake you up is gave. Just like the threefold usage of exchange, we see a threefold use of the word, what? Gave them up. So as God is revealing Himself, truth, nature, immortality, we're saying, no thanks, we're going to substitute, we're going to respond to your gracious revelation by taking something else. God in turn says this, at least Romans says this about what God does. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So how is the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? How is that being revealed? Because a lot of you are going, well, where is that wrath? Where do we see it? What are you talking about? I don't see God's wrath being poured out. Unless you want to go Pat Robertson. Just blame every natural disaster on God's wrath on a city. 
Maybe you want to go there. I don't know. But where do we see the wrath of God being poured out against unrighteousness? Where do you see it? It's in His withdrawal. It's in His withdrawal. He gives us up over to it. Enjoy it. Have at it. You have your reward in full. If that's what you want, if that's what you love, if that's what gives you joy, if that's what's meaningful to you, you can have it. Enjoy it to the full. God surrenders unrighteous people to their unrighteousness. And lets them have at it. That's horrifying to me. Horrifying. Horrifying. You wonder why God wants, or Paul wants to preach the gospel. Because people keep hitting the snooze button on God. Because it's so much more comfortable to sleep in. Five more minutes of leave me alone God. Seems so much better. Than responding appropriately to what he is revealing. So over time, God says, you can have it. And he gives an unrighteous culture, an unrighteous value system over to itself and says, enjoy it for as long as it lasts. But understand this, there will be a day of vengeance and reckoning. A day in which you cannot escape. So that word to be given up should wake you up to the reality of your sin today. To the reality of the sin in our society. That if if this is at stake, then we must preach. we got to be eager to preach the Gospel if this much is at stake. Which brings us to the seventh word. To wake you up is to be filled. Filled. Look at the progression that's taking place. Revealing, knowing, exchanging, giving up. And then finally we come to verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. They are full of envy. They are gossips. So that sinful unrighteousness in any way, shape, or form provided in this list becomes the defining characteristic of their life and their identity. You see, sin is not just something that we do. It's not just acts of sin. Sin is who we are. You can say, well, I don't do this, that, and the other thing. But who are you? In the presence of a holy God. Because opposites don't attract in relationship to God. That we are full of sin. No one is righteous. No, not even one. That we are filled. That the fruit of God giving over is that we become this. We're full of this. This is our predicament. This is the real problem in our world. 
this is the real issue in North Syracuse, Cicero, Liverpool, and Baldwinsville. Sin, unrighteousness, and the fact that God has a holy hostility toward it. That's why Paul is eager. That's why he's never ashamed. Because of what's at stake. People's lives and eternities. You could keep hitting the snooze button. But I think it's time that we wake up to the reality of God's wrath against sin. Seven words in a statement. God's wrath is revealed against all human unrighteousness. Because while they have knowledge of Him, they exchanged His truth and glory in idolatry. Thus God gave them up to their sins, permitting them to be filled with sin. You say, what's Romans 1, 18-32 saying to us? That. That's what the Scriptures are telling us today. God's wrath is revealed against all human unrighteousness because while they have knowledge of Him, they exchanged His truth and glory and idolatry. Thus God gave them up to their sins, permitting them to be filled with sin. Write that down. Think about it. Consider it. Wake up to it. Don't sleep any longer to this truth. I'll never forget sitting around a round table of mainline denominational pastors in the middle of a village just south of Rochester in the early stages of my ministry. And we were talking about certain social and moral issues in our day. And one side was coming from this opinion and another side was coming from the other opinion. You probably can figure out what I'm talking about. And I asked the question, what about Romans 1? And another pastor said, yeah, we skipped that. I said, wait a minute. So you're telling me that if you're preaching through the Gospel of Romans, you're going to skip this? Absolutely. It's just not relevant to today. I'm not, I'm not going to skip. That doesn't really preach the, 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 the good news about God's love. It was in that moment that I realized that my days were numbered in said denomination. We can't skip this. We can't wash over this. These eight words, seven really highlighted thus far, these eight words wake us up to the truth about our sin and God's wrath against it. We can't skip it. No matter how uncomfortable, no matter how easy, no matter how enjoyable as it might be to skip it, God has revealed this to us for our good and for His glory. And so the last word, the eighth and final word that, that wakes us up is really the first word, God. The wrath of God. God, this is about God. Right? This is what God is doing. He's revealing His wrath against all unrighteousness. And understand this, the same God that is wrath in 18 is the same God that is what? 
having power to save in verse 16 and 17. The same God that is providing His righteousness in 17. The same God that has done a miraculous work in Jesus Christ. It would be spiritual manipulation and abusive for me to just give you the God of wrath in the midst of this letter. You must see the God of, uh, of salvation today. Really, you must see Jesus. That as you, are, as you wake up to the wrath of God against sin, you have an opportunity today to trust in Jesus to save you from wrath. You have an opportunity today in the fullness of who God is and what He's revealing in this moment through the preaching of His Word to be saved from wrath. And now we can talk about good news. Now we can understand good news, right? Now we get a proper context for grace. Because we've dived deep into our sin, albeit for 40 minutes. The final word is God. Really, the final word, as Hebrews says, is Jesus. God's word, He's spoken, is Jesus. And so today, come to the recognition that you do have hope, but you only have it in one place. It's in Jesus Christ. So trust in Jesus. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Believes. Don't hit the snooze button. Wake up to the reality of Jesus and what He has done for you to save you from sin. Eight words, right? Eight words, wrath revealed, unrighteousness, knowledge, exchanged, give, full, God. Eight words, but here's another eight words to wake you up today. Trust in Jesus to save you from wrath. Be awakened to the truth and glory of the gospel. The good news of God's victory over our greatest enemy. Our sin. So trust in Jesus today. You say, well, why should I trust in Jesus to save me from God's wrath? Why Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus has a way of transforming every one of the previous eight words. Jesus has something to say to us about radically transforming the way that we interact with the first eight words. That's why you're going to trust in Jesus today to save you from wrath. Because Jesus transforms the way we look at it. First of all, if you look at wrath, Jesus absorbs it on the cross. Jesus absorbs perfectly and sufficiently all the wrath that you deserve when He died for you. That's what the crucifixion is all about. It is a symbol of love, amen. But it is also a symbol of God's wrath poured out on sin. satisfied God's wrath for you. For all those who trust in Jesus, God's wrath is satisfied. It's absolved. It is no more. So trust in Jesus. Revealed. John chapter 1 says that Jesus reveals the Father, right? He's the special revelation to us. Remember the general couldn't save, but the special does. The special, uh, specific, particular revelation 
It does save. That revelation now when understood and seen, when the, when the blinders come off and the, and, the, and the earmuffs come off, we can see and hear that this is who God is. And then we recognize that when we confess our sins to God, that it is Jesus that is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all what? Unrighteousness. And that it is this work of Jesus and this, this revelation of Jesus that gives us knowledge. If you know me, you know my Father as well. And it's His work on the cross that, that C.S. Lewis calls the great what? Exchange. For God, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in Him, we, who trust in Jesus, might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. That's why you should trust in Jesus. Because in Him, in trusting in Him, we become the righteousness of God. And now we can know Him. We can know Him. Not just know about His attributes, but know Him. Relate with Him. Do I even need to talk about the word give? In reference to Jesus. He gave Himself for us. He gave Himself for us. The same word here, God gave them over, is the same word that is used about Jesus giving Himself up for our sins. He gave Himself up, right? No one takes my life. No one takes my life. I lay it down. I lay it down. I give it. You can have it. I'm going to take your sin and you're going to take my life and my righteousness. That's why you trusted Jesus to save you from wrath. And last, it's in Jesus that we receive the fullness of Him who fills all in all. That we're no longer full of sin and unrighteousness and rebellion. But one of the great gifts of the Gospel is that in trusting in Jesus, we're filled with His very presence. We're filled with the, the, the presence of God, the power of God that was revealed in creation. The power of God is now living inside of us and totally transforming the way that we live and the things that we value. We're full of the Holy Spirit. And all that was empty about our nature, Christ has filled as He's brought us to Himself. So wake up to the wrath of God. Stop sleeping. Stop pretending. And trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus to save you from it. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you and I pray that if there's anybody here in this room that has to deal with sin in their life, unrepentant sin, 
recognition that man, I, I've ignored this. I've avoided this. I've pushed it aside. I, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. And they're longing for peace and assurance and forgiveness. And they want to turn to you pray. Lord, I pray that they would not hit the snooze button right now on you. Pray that your spirit's at work in their heart even now. Save them. Bring them to you. May they run into your arms. May they jump out of bed. As Jesus sits next to the little girl who's died. While everyone had considered her dead, lost all hope, chuckled at the idea that she was just sleeping, she would be awakened. Jesus, revealing His glory and power, says, Talitha Ka'um, which means, wake up. Get up. I pray that you would whisper into the ears of sinners this morning. Talitha Ka'um. Wake up. That they would wake up from their slumber and be literally risen from the dead today. That they would know your grace and your forgiveness. And God, if there's anybody here today that's been a Christian for decades, but has never really understood the depth of sin and therefore never really celebrated and devoted themselves to the reality of the gospel. I pray that you would deepen them today. Deepen their understanding. Deepen their joy. Deepen their obedience and their response today, including my own. May this not be just something we do on Sundays. May be this something that transforms our lives. That the gospel is what gives us an eagerness and that we're bold about it. And it marks everything about us. That it's not just some secondary thing that we do to make ourselves feel better about the crappy things we do the rest of the week. But this is our identity. This is who we are. And we're now living in light of that with joy and a willingness to give and sacrifice to the glory of God. Deepen our understanding and love for the gospel today. Because of a refusal to ignore your wrath against sin. God, we praise you for the saving work of Jesus. All God's people say, Amen.